Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeedGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeedGeek.com and use promo code SIDERETIREDPOD in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the NFL and NHL. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. Hello and to welcome to today's unique, I guess, weekend edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan joined alongside Jack, as always, as well as Harry Kilman. And today we're going to be breaking down the MLB all team. I believe that's what they're referring to it. Uh, yes, the all MLB team. Basically, it's the best player at each position just for the 2022 season. You don't worry about who's the best player at the position in general. We will obviously do those top 10 episodes later on in the year where you encompass projections for 2023, the last couple of seasons. But the all MLB team is strictly defined as a player's performance during the 2022 season alone at a given position that comes into factor when Shohei Otani is nominated for the DH as well as the starting pitcher. But before we get into things, Jack, how you doing? Pretty good. You know, a big event day for baseball feels like starting to get a substantial amount of news every day. So hopefully we build on that throughout the, uh, the next couple of months and we have us, the three of us here, to uh, talk you through it. Anything, we'll be breaking it down. So it should be fun. Uh, excited to get on with this uh, today. And we will be doing our weekend wrap-up episode that will come out Monday morning where we'll be talking more in detail about James Click being fired by the Houston Astros and their now search for a new GM. We'll definitely give our predictions, analysis, and updates on that situation as more clarity comes out. But here, how we're going to do this today, we're going to be looking at the all MLB team going position by position, telling you who you should vote for. You can vote once every 24 hours and voting ends on Tuesday, November 22nd at 5 p.m. And the announced winners will be at the winter meetings, which are less than a month away at this point. Definitely some fun times in the offseason. First base is the position we're going to be kicking it off, which includes Jose Abreu, Pete Alonso, Luis Arias, Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Nathaniel Lowe. Matt Olson and Christian Walker. Guys, I'll go to Harry first. Pretty easy decision, right? Yeah, this is probably the one that we all agree on pretty easily. It's got to be Paul Goldschmidt, the guy who's probably going to win the NL MVP award. He was absolutely electric this season and really kind of just pushed his potential Hall of Fame case one step closer uh, to where now we can actually really begin thinking about that. But yeah, he was absolutely phenomenal this year. Jack, you have anything on Goldschmidt? Um, nothing really more. Harry pretty much hit got everything. Um, right after, uh, you know, Goldschmidt propelled the Cardinals to get to win a, a division. Many people, including myself, thought they had no chance in. Uh, really overall good sen- season for him, especially the change in leadership as Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina retire. You really see that clubhouse shift towards Goldschmidt's, you know, his leadership. And that, now that we have confirmed that Nolan Arenado is going to be returning. Certainly a new era for the Cardinals and one that Goldschmidt's going to be the forefront of. Christian Walker, I'll say a sneaky trade candidate this offseason, 36 home runs in the desert. They're probably still rebuilding for the next couple of seasons. Could definitely see a team taking Walker on this offseason as a potential DH slugger in the middle of their order. Second base is more of a hit-to-contact position. You've got Altuve, Cronenworth, 
Tommy Edmond, Andres Jimenez, Jeff McNeil, Brendan Rodgers, Marcus Semien, and Glaber Torres. Jack, who are you taking there? I think similarly to first base, I think this one's a no-brainer. Jose Altuve led in nearly all major offensive categories, and including, uh, you know, his defense also fared well, uh, leading this position in, in war. He led in Woba, ex-Woba, whatever, C+. On base percentage, you know, he had 28 home runs, 18 stolen bases overall, and now a World Series champion to cap it all off. A great season for Altuve and one that people are not realizing is shockingly similar similar to his 2017 MVP season. So, you know, kind of undervalued, one of the most underrated seasons in MLB this year. Yeah, picking, piggybacking off of that, I don't think people understand just how great Jose Altuve was this season. I know Jack mentioned it was very similar to his 2017 MVP campaign. He actually had a higher WRC plus in this season at 164 than last season, with or than that season with just 160. Altuve was absolutely phenomenal, and you know a lot of rumors that maybe he had fallen off or maybe that he was just a, a, a you know trash trash can merchant. Absolutely not the case. Dude was completely phenomenal this year. I'm going to disagree with you guys on this one, but probably just because I saw this guy play every single day. Jeff McNeil, the batting champion, NL Silver Slugger at second base. He also led all of baseball in batting average. He gets on base. He decided this year he's only going to try to get base hits, try to get as many singles as possible after struggling in 2021. He said the analytics got in his head a little bit too much when the Mets had Hugh Quattlebaum as their hitting coordinator. The Mets didn't even have a hitting coach in 2021. They called him a hitting coordinator. This year, back to basics, Eric Chavez came in as an official hitting coach, a former big league player, and said, Jeff, do your thing, and that is get singles, slap the ball the other way. Jeff says, my exit velocity is not going to be great. My advanced statistics aren't going to be great, but you need to have a guy on your team like Jeff McNeil in order to win a championship. That is a top of the lineup, bad setter, slash maybe a five hitter who can knock in RBIs and drive in runs. Jeff McNeil is a gritty winning player. Also sneaky good at defense this year as well at second base, as well as all around the diamond. So I would go as Jeff McNeil is a nice little shout out at second base. Shortstop is a stacked loaded position. The four guys at the top are Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Trey Turner, but there's a bunch of other guys, including Dansby Swanson, Bobby Wood Jr., Corey Seager, Bo Bichette, and Willie Adamas. Jack, who are you taking? Because I think this is the first position where we'll be taking three different players. Going with Correa, he has less volume than those guys you previously mentioned due to you know, those, in, those injury concerns that people have had from throughout the entirety of his career. But he still posted 140 WRC plus, 4.4 war, you know, X Woba and Woba both in the 360s. And overall, in a, a solid OPS in the 800s with the 366 and 467 on base and slugging respectively. Correa put up a really typical season for the guy he's been, and similarly to his ex-teammate Altuve, one that's been really underrated. He signed a three-year, $35 million AAV contract that he recently opted out of. He's likely to get the same kind of annual value over a longer-term deal this offseason, and you know any team would be very, very uh, lucky to have him, and he's probably going to be one of, one of, of not the most coveted short stops and overall free agents on the market. Correa is, cements himself, I believe, as not just one of, but the best shortstop in the game of baseball. And he did so by having what is on the per rate, on a, on a rate basis, the best season by far amongst all of his peers. Harry, who you got? To me, it was very close between two guys being Corey Seager and Dansby Swanson. Uh, Swanson paced all shortstops with 20 outs above average, just a ridiculous number at one of the most premium defensive positions in the sport. Uh, however, the gap between 
the gap between Swanson and Seager on the defensive end was very, very similar to the gap between Seager and Swanson on the offensive end as Seager led all shortstops with a 372 uh, uh, expected Woba around 40 points higher than Swanson's. I think it's a pretty similar gap, but at the end of the day, I would value that offensive edge a little bit more than I'd value that defensive edge. So for that reason, in a little bit of a, a close race, I would probably go for Corey Seager. Swanson, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, and Carlos Correa all going to be free agents this upcoming offseason. You can check out right below this episode, our free agency predictions episode with the three of us, as well as our YouTube specialist, David Halpert, gave our prediction as to where we think all of these guys would sign this offseason. So if you haven't checked that out, make sure to go and look at that episode below. Look at that nice little plug that I just did there, Harry. For my shortstop, I will go with the guy that led all of shortstops in war, and that is indeed Francisco Lindor. Huge bounce back season for the New York Mets this year. Great on offense as well as defensively. Really showed that he can be a leader in New York and play under the bright lights. I would also make a strong argument and might even lean towards Trey Turner in a tiny way in that he's a five-tool player. But I am going to go with Francisco Lindor here just because, again, sort of similar to Jeff McNeil. I love the analytics and I know the analytics, but I did also have a bias towards Francisco Lindor. So if I have to stick up for my Mets, Harry unfortunately doesn't get this because I don't think a single red was nominated for the all MLV team this year, except for future Met Alexis Diaz is nominated for the reliever spot. But I will go with Francisco Lindor, the Mets shortstop to be the shortstop of the all decade team with a nod towards Trey Turner, another future Met. Um, Third base is another position where there's three really stacked guys. We had Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado, and Austin Riley at the top, but also shout-outs deserve to Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, Matt Chapman, Eugenio Suarez, and Brandon Drury. Harry, I'll go to you first. Who is your third baseman? I'm going to go with arguably the least popular of the three, and that's uh, Atlanta Braves third baseman Austin Riley. Uh, the dude is an absolute nuclear offensive weapon. He had a 142 WRC plus and proved that that was absolutely no fluke with a 378 expected Woba. His defense is just a little up in the air. He's notorious for having vastly different uh, numbers in DRS compared to his OAA, consistently with negative OAA numbers while consistently with extremely positive defensive run save numbers. I think that goes to show more of the the volatility between a lot of defensive metrics. And at the end of the day, I'm going to really value uh, the absolute missile of a bat that he has. So I'm going to go with Riley. Jack, go for it. I like Riley. As Harry said, I think he is by far and wide the best offensive third baseman in the game. But the odds above average were too much for me to ignore. And my pick is probably the best defensive third baseman in the game of baseball, Nolan Arenado. I had him way too low on my third baseman position list to start the year, and he put up a fantastic year. While he, I doubt he will repeat the premier offensive success he had this year, next year, given the the, the range between his result-based and expected statistics, he's still going to be a well, very above-average player. He had a 151 WRC plus, a 7.3 war, just 0.1 besides Manny Machado. I'd see these two guys as neck and neck in the MVP race, and other, while they are competing for second and third, I, I doubt that, you know, anyone could predict as of now which way it's going to go. And I could see either one of those guys taking the respective higher, the higher rank in the award. Arenado, along with Goldschmidt, who I previously talked about, he's going, those guys are going to be the cornerstones of the St. Louis Cardinals for years to come. And as they look to get over the hump, make it past the NLCS in recent years, those guys are going to be a key piece in, uh, in the reason behind it. 
And the Cardinals have been a franchise of pretty much a lot of stability. Basically, the exact opposite is the San Diego Padres organization with all the Fernando Tatis Jr. drama. They acquired Juan Soto midseason, who performed solid, gave them pretty good production. However, it wasn't Juan Soto-esque. The one thing that has been pretty sort of consistent on this Padres team, and that's Manny Machado, who continues to rake this year, a 7.4 war, 152 weighted runs created plus. Manny Machado is a really solid baseball player, plays defense, plays offense. He's a height of what's the statistic that James, this is James's favorite statistic. James told me I had to mention this. Manny Machado is a 100 100 player. Jack, do you know what a 100 100 player is? Is one of them RBIs? Yes. <laughs> the one runs? Yes, it is. Manny Machado is a 100 100 player. <laughs> 100 runs, 100 RBIs, but I did throw in some other statistics like weighted run created plus and war. Manny Machado is a very solid baseball player, stability, three hitter. He is worth, I think this season basically showed everyone who initially said that the Bryce Harper and the Manny Machado contracts were overpaid and overrated. That is not true. Those are two of the top 10 baseball players on the planet. And I think I doubled down with that statement on both Machado and Bryce Harper. Catchers where things get a little bit more interesting it's not that there's a lack of superstars, but it's definitely the production is a lot more down when you go with these players. This includes the likes of Wilson Contreras, JT Realmuto, Will Smith, Adley Rushman, Jose Trevino, Travis Darno, Carl Raleigh, Alejandro Kirk, and William Contreras. Oh, no Tomas Nito there. All right, Jack, who are you taking for catcher? First, shout out to Jose Trevino real quick. Platinum Glove winner, one of the best acquisitions of the baseball offseason in 2021. But now my pick... I have to go with Ali Rutschman. Despite having significantly less volume than his peers, he still was second in war amongst catchers at 5.3 behind JT Romero 6.5. For reference, Romero played nearly 140 games. Ali Rutschman played 113. This, I believe he is far and wide the best catcher in baseball, despite even having less than a full season's worth of games under his belt. A 133 WRC plus, 342 uh, expected Woba. So you and defensive... Uh, Defensive frame rates support that he is a very, very solid defensive catcher. I know no one's going to argue that he's the premier at the position and either hitting or defense, but he excels in both a way that is unseen amongst catchers. As you look at guys like, you know, uh, like, like Jose Trevino, as I previously mentioned, he has an inept ability to hit the baseball, but excels at for excels at framing. Uh, Rutschman does both at an elite level. That's really unheard of at the catcher position. And as he continues to build volume with just more experience, and he's getting more time at the major league level, he is going to be a, a threat, and he's going to be someone who propels the, the Baltimore Orioles from a pretending team to a contending one. Harry, who you got? I'm also going to go with Rutschman. I think that his success was a real victory lap for a lot of uh, projectors and, and guys like, not guys, but models like Steamer that really thrive off of projecting rookies from the minor leagues to the major leagues. And a lot of people identified that Rutschman would probably be an electric, an electric bat and an electric backstop from day one. And he most certainly was, although he wasn't on the opening day roster he quickly blossomed into one of the best catchers in the bigs and on a per rate basis was really up there with anybody. And, you know, I really, really value how well you can do with the opportunities that you're given. And for that reason, I'm also going to go with Adley Rushman. Maybe the postseason has a little bit of a bias in this and MLB is unclear whether they want you to factor in the postseason because they basically announced this word and a voting didn't start until after the playoffs begun, which is unlike the regular MLB MVP Cy Young, which they have voters vote on on the final season of the regular or the final day of the regular season. With that in mind, I'm going to pick JT Realmuto, 820 OPS. 
He also led catchers in war. Volume in this case matters because the catcher position is a position where players will oftentimes not play a full season. Slash, for example, a guy like Will Smith did play 130 games, but a lot of them were at the DH position. JT Realmuto got there behind the plate each and every day and also consistently provided value offensively and defensively. So I would go with JT Realmuto. Also a couple of great clutch hits in the playoffs. Designated hitter. We would like to acknowledge Shohei Otani had a great season. Bryce Harper's season got cut short due to an injury at the beginning. He eventually came back and dominated in the playoffs. But I think in general, and I speak for all of us in this sense, that we can keep this moving. Jordan Alvarez put it all together. A great postseason, great regular season. One of the best premier sluggers in the game right now. 37 homers, 97 RBIs, and OPS above 1,000, as well as a 300 batting average. Jordan Alvarez absolutely crushes the ball. Shout out also to Albert Pujols. I think if at the beginning of the season... You were to say that Albert Pujols was going to hit 24 home runs this year. I don't think anyone would have believed you. Congrats on 700 home runs. And shout out also to the fifth and final candidate for the designated hitter, Danny Donuts. Daniel Vogelbach was nominated for the best designated hitter of the year. But I think in general, Jordan Alvarez easily takes this position for all three of us. Jack, you would like to go first for the outfielders. I assume I know at least two of the guys, but tell us who your third player is as well as talk about why Aaron Judge and Mike Trout are unanimous choices for us. On my third player, I wanted to go with Kyle Tucker. Tucker put up, like, similar to his teammate Jose Altuve, ex-teammate Carlos Clara. I wonder why there's a uh, universal theme of underrating Houston Astro players, uh, maybe something with their past. But nonetheless, they certainly are excelling now, and we should forget those previous narratives that many people, myself included, will condemn them for. Regardless, Tucker is the premier defensive outfielder in all MLB and put up a fantastic offensive season. 129 WRC plus uh, Woba and X-Woba both close around 350, 330 on base, 478 slugging. The guy is a threat on de- defensively and offensively and is a major part of the Houston Astros' success. He's only 25 years old and he's going likely going to be extended soon. And, you know, hopefully when they get a new GM who's, you know, somehow is going to replace the one who just won them a World Series. But Tucker is someone who's going to get a very nice extension or a huge payday by the time he does it free agency. A young star. I don't think people really realize how young he is considering he's been a star in the league now for a couple of years. So a very, very solid piece there for the Houston Astros. And Mike Trout. Mike Trout was fantastic. Despite not even being a qualified hitter, he still ranks second among all, all outfielders in war. And just, you know, that's just a pretty, pretty alarming feat. He played 135 games, less than all of his competitors. And still ranked, you know, a higher wins above wins above replacement value than any of them. He was second to one, and that is Aaron James Judge, put up arguably the best offensive season of all time, the best in the Statcast era by far. Broke records for barrels, ex woba woba. So certainly a fantastic season by him, and through a modern lens, and then also historically breaking the American League single season home run record with 62. It's hard to find a statistic that Judge did not lead the league in and he's going to be likely a unanimous MVP vote, a winner next week. Ooh, you want to make that a bold prediction right now? No, uh, does Ben Verlander have a American League <laughs> MVP vote? He does not, unfortunately. Sure, then uh, Aaron Judge will win the American League MVP award unanimously. All right, Harry, get that on the TikTok. But <laughs> Harry, who is your prediction for the third outfielder besides Judge and Trout? I was also going to say Tucker, but I'd like to kind of hone in a little bit more on Mike Trout because I peep, I think that a lot of times, whether it be voters or just the general public, just kind of underrates Mike Trout because he has such a high standard. His career WRC Plus is an 
asinine 172, yet somehow he was able to surpass that this year with 176. I know early to the middle of the year, he sustained some form of back injury that a lot of reports came out said, oh, this could be a potentially career-threatening injury. He may never be the same. Well, Mike Trout really proved that all of that was just absolute baloney as he came back as good as as good as ever. He went on a Joey Votto-esque uh, home run hitting streak. I think it was seven home runs or seven games with a consecutive home run in them. He was absolutely on fire when he came back and he had a 176 WRC plus that was on par with the likes of Paul Goldschmidt, who we all unanimously agreed was the number one first baseman in the MLB, as well as our pretty much safe to say our NL MVP pick as well. Collectively, Mike Trout is absolutely incredible and it looks like he's his same old self, even though he is now on the wrong side of 30. So it's just absolutely a pleasure to watch Mike Trout. And, you know, I think people just can say, oh, that's Mike Trout. But you, yeah, you need to really contextualize how good he has been. I will shout out a quartet of other outfielders, including Mookie Betts, Julio Rodriguez, Brandon Nimmo, and Kyle Schwarber. Either one of these four guys could be your third outfielder. Betts obviously produced another Mookie Betts next season with an OPS around 935 homers. Brandon Nimmo excelled defensively in center field for the first time in his career, really putting it together in a career season in a contract year. Nimmo looked really good. I don't think you believe it. He didn't make an all-star game, which was a snub. He only performed even better in the second half. Nimmo's in line, if I do say so myself, for a $100 million contract this upcoming offseason. Kyle Schorber had 46 bombs, which I don't think anybody really processed and understood until now looking at the stats. And Julio Rodriguez, I think as well as we think Adley Rushman played, Julio Rodriguez is probably the AL Rookie of the Year. I think we can all agree on that. Potentially, Jack's nodding his head. I have Jack's approval on that at least. I will go with Brandon Nimmo as my starting third outfielder just because I think Brandon Nimmo excelled defensively as well as offensively better than any of these other four guys. Kyle Schwarber, as we know, is a liability out in the outfield. Julio Rodriguez missed a chunk of time due to injury. And Mookie Betts, I really want to pick Mookie Betts, but I'm going to go with Brandon Nimmo. He's got that dog in him. Yes, he does, Harry, Mm -hmm. as you would like to say. Brandon Nimmo about to get paid. As Jack likes to say with Aaron Judge, pay the man. New York Mets, do not let the face of the franchise Brandon Nimmo go away. Pay him the only continuing member of the team that was in the playoffs the last time the Mets were in the playoffs. Stop laughing at me. I would name, if I'm a Mets fan, if I'm Steve Cohen or whatever, the next captain of the New York Mets is Brandon Nemo. It's not Pete Alonso. It's not Jacob deGrom. It is not Francisco Lindor. Brandon Nemo is the only homegrown guy that was on the playoff roster the last time the Mets made the playoffs before 2022. He's the embodiment of the New York Mets and that he was with the team when they were horrible for a couple of years, just like David, right? He's now the leadoff hitter. He's now the good guy that you want as the public figure on the New York Mets. Brandon Nimmo should be re-signed by the New York Mets, should be the next captain of the Mets. I don't like the Michael Conforto rumors that I'm hearing with the Mets saying, oh, let's replace Brandon Nimmo with Michael Conforto again. We've been there. We've done that. Resign Nimmo. Extend Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo is the starting center fielder and future captain of the New York per- Percent chance that Brandon Nimmo is the Mets captain next year? Like 2%. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's have some fun here with these do you want to do starting pitchers first which is going to cause some arguments or do we want to just unanimously say who our two relievers are i'm getting nodding heads that wasn't yes. that wasn't a yes or no that was a unanimous nodding heads for relievers okay the two relievers for sure emmanuel class and edwin diaz locked down closers throughout the season 
sound the trumpets as well as Emmanuel Classe's 1.36 ERA, 0.73 whip, 9.54 Ks per nine. His cutter was elite. Edwin Diaz's trumpets were elite. There were a couple other really solid relievers this year, including Ryan Presley, Clay Holmes, Andres Munoz, Kenley Jansen, Devin Williams. But I think in general, we'd all agree that Emmanuel Classe and Edwin Diaz are for sure the two best relievers in baseball. And it's not even particularly close. But let's get into the starting pitchers. Jack, give us your Fab Five. So first, I think the one... Or no, I don't think there's anyone unanimous for us, so that's going to be make it interesting. One, I'll, I have the the National League Cy Young winner, Sandy Alcantara. That's I think I don't really have to explain myself much there. I think his main attribute is, has been his volume. He He's accumulated more innings than anyone else and done so at a prolific rate. He led all MLB in innings pit innings pits by nearly 20, so or by over 20, rather. So very, very impressive feat there. Then my second one, I have Shohei Otani. On a per-rate basis, Otani, I believe, was the best pitcher in MLB this year amongst qualified starters. Uh, he had a sub-three XFIP, Sierra. Uh, he had the league-best strikeouts minus walk percentage, so a very, very good season by him. Then third, I have Shane McClanahan. McClanahan would have been the, the National League, the American League Cy Young winner in my book before he kind of fell off due to injury. And then I have Garrett Cole, kind of a more controversial take. But if you looked at, you know, some of the statistics I love to go on about and really, you know, uh, fantasize and really romanticize with, Garrett Cole was second in strikeouts minus walk percentage, second in second in Sierra, and and fifth in XFIP. So overall, kind of undervalued season there that expect the numbers, expect a huge, huge bounce back for Garrett Cole. So buy, buy a ton of Garrett Cole stock. And then fifth, a guy who I've been really high on from the beginning, Aaron Nola. Nola was is fourth in XFIP, fourth in Sierra. So a very, very good season from him. All right, Harry, take it away with your five. So as I mentioned a little earlier, I'm going with more of a per rate approach or a per, yeah, a per rate basis for my pitchers. And while I do find it a lot of times to be difficult wrestling with guys, especially with Sandy Alcantara with, you know, elite volume, but maybe lags a little bit behind in terms of just his pure rate stats. I'm just going to go exclusively uh, on the right side and, you know, outside of maybe Jacob DeGrom, who only pitched 64 pitches or 64 innings, rather, I'm going to go with my top five being Shohei Otani in no particular order. Keep in mind, Shohei Otani, Shane McClanahan, Corbin Burns, Carlos Rodon, and Spencer Strider. The last of which is really to me on the fringe of should he really even be considered for this? He only pitched around 130 innings in the regular season, which isn't even enough for qualification. However, on if you on a per inning basis, he, in my opinion, was the best pitcher, the best starting pitcher rather in baseball, even better than McClanahan and Otani in terms of things like PCRA, Sierra and the likes of that. So for that reason, I'm going to go with those five. And yeah, I know I'm leaving off some big names, Garrett Cole, Sandy Alcatara, Justin Verlander, but I just don't think that in a one, two, three inning uh, scenario, they really stack up with those flamethrowers. And none of us have really stepped in the role, well, not really, but none of us have stepped in the batter's box to face a big league pitcher or any of these people. However, one of our guests that we had on this summer, who is absolutely raking, if you don't know the name Matt Mervis yet, definitely make sure to go learn that name. He was raking in the AFL. He was just named the, the MVP of the Arizona Fall League All-Star Game. He's the Cubs' top prospect. He's going to be raking in the major leagues next year for them. Go check out our interview with him if you haven't done so yet. He said that Spencer Strider is the most disgusting pitcher he's ever faced. 
His fastball is insane. His slider is wiped out. So Matt Mervis is saying that Spencer Strider is a really good pitcher. So Harry, I don't think it is crazy at all for you to include uh, Spencer Strider in your top five. I'm going to go with my top five as Justin Verlander, Sandy Alcantara, Shane McClanahan, uh, Dylan Cease, and finally, Jack's going to like this one, Nasty Nestor Cortez Jr. I just can't see a world where he dominated in baseball those first couple of months to the point where everyone was saying, give Nestor the Cy Young. I have to shout out the craftiness of Nestor Cortez as well as Justin Verlander. None of you guys put Verlander on your top five, which was interesting. He's going to win the AL Cy Young. I don't even think it's going to be relatively close to voting. Verlander had a 1.75 ERA, a 0.8 whip in a bounce back season coming back from Tommy John as if he didn't skip a beat. Expect him to get Max Scherzer money in the free agency market in the upcoming days. Look at that. I didn't include Scherzer. Also, shout out to a couple other guys that were on the ballot. From Rivaldez, Kyle Wright, Julio Urias, Alec Manoa, Tony Gonsolin, Max Fried, Zach Gallen, Yu Darvish, and Christian Javier, who none of us mentioned, but are also there and deserve some recognition for a great season. All right, guys, so we made it through. Obviously, we will do another wrap-up of the weekend episode. There's rumors Clayton Kershaw is about to re-sign with the Dodgers. There's a couple trade wins. We're going to talk about James Click, but is there anything else you guys want to throw in with the all-MLB teams? This is probably the last time we'll be talking about this concept. Perfect. Nodding heads. All good. All right, so until the next time, for Dylan, James, Jack, and Harry, the side is retired.